Wine can be really confusing. When you're starting out, it's hard to tell high-quality wine from a bottle of Plunk. It can also get really expensive. Boy, have I found that out lately by looking at my bank statements. I did a lot of research to find a better way to buy quality wine without breaking the bank, and that's how I discovered an awesome website called Last Bottle Wines. Last Bottle Wines has fostered personal relationships with wineries across the world and offer one bottle of high-quality wine a day at 30 to 70% off. When the bottle is gone, it's gone. New day, new bottle, new savings. I recently ordered a Spanish Tempranillo. This wine normally retails for $74, and I got it from Last Bottle Wines for only 32 bucks. It's not a wine club, so there's no fees. Shipping is affordable and can even be free. You know Mason and I are always after the best wines at the best price. We want you to enjoy the same deal. That's why we got you this special offer. Some of our listeners have already taken advantage of the deal and are loving the experience. All you need to do is go to lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off your first purchase while helping your favorite Wine and Liberty podcast. That's lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off a delicious bottle of wine at 30 to 70% off. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. So, Jake, what's in your glass tonight? Well, Mason, as you and I were discussing earlier, we decided to go with two Pinot Noirs from roughly the same area. And, you know, I've got a pretty big stock now of of Mm -hmm. wine. And so when you find something, I can find something probably close to it or around where it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or at least right now, I can. Yeah. And uh, so what I went with was... And I've been really looking forward to opening this up. It's uh, from Lup- uh, Lutnum. It's L-U-T-U-M. Uh, they're very famous for making good wine, I guess, in California. And it's from the uh, Gaps Crown Vineyard. It's a Pinot Noir 2013. Mm-hmm. 13.9% alcohol by volume, which seems a little high for a Pinot Noir to me. But I also – I just don't drink Pinot Noir that often, so I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, this is the this is the part that you and I get most excited about. <laughs> Nor- oh. Normally, it's sixty dollars a bottle. Yes. And over on uh, which I'll I'll be doing a plug for this later mm-hmm. on. Uh, ah, I can't pull it up on my phone. But uh, what did I tell you that website that I'm using now is? Oh, um, hang on. Well, I'll pull it up in the notes. Yeah. V. What is it? V. I can't even say it. But I Vivinto got Vivino or Vivino. Vivino. Yeah. Is that how you say it? V i v i n o. Vivino. Yeah. So I've been using this Vivino app a lot lately to keep track of what bottles of wine I have and what ones I don't have. So they're saying it's sixty dollars a bottle. Um, hmm. When I got it from Last Bottle Wines, I think Last Bottle was saying that it normally goes for seventy five, but uh, Last Bottle does like three listings. They'll say like, "This is what it normally goes for in stores. This is what I, we can find it online at, and this is what we're selling at." So they sold it at thirty five dollars a bottle. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good rating. It's like, look, this is like when we contacted the original seller to be supplied with this. This is their suggested retail price. This mm-hmm. is what we can find it online for, and this is what we're going to sell it to you for. So, right, yeah, and this is on the last bottle. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very pleased, very very pleased with this Pinot Noir. And like I said, I've been looking forward to opening it up. I got like 
four or five bottles of Pinot Noir from them, different ones during that marathon. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the ones I was especially looking forward to. And it's from uh, uh, the Central Coast uh, of Sonoma. So it's it's near where yours is from, but not exactly where yours is from. Correct. And like I said, it's from the Gap's Crown Vineyard. Uh, I'll go ahead and give my review of the taste and flavor. I kind of wanted to start getting back to a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. of like the more – I wouldn't say strict, but a more strict review of the of the flavors. Yeah, giving giving people a better idea of what we're actually drinking. Yeah, because I've been I've been going back and reviewing our notes, and like I noticed that for some reason at some point I just kind of stopped putting in what I thought of the wine, and <laughs> and I don't know why. Like it was just like one week I'm doing it, and the next week I just don't have those notes anymore. It's just facts about the wine. So this mm. is this is what I liked about it. So the color was very very pleasant, pale red, and you know. One of the things that I learned about from Elizabeth that wine for normal people is that if you hold the wine, you know, how, like people in like on TV and stuff, they hold up to the light and they're like, "Ooh, yeah, this looks nice" or whatever. She says, "No, mm-hmm. that's not really how you do it. What you do is you have a white piece of paper or a white napkin or something, and you hold mm-hmm. it, you hold it behind it, and sort of tilt it over that and let the light pass through it. And that's sort of how you get a clear representation of what the color is. And this okay. has a very, very pleasant red." kind of red well not to confuse it with burgundy the wine but kind of a very burgundy color but clear so you can see right yeah. through it so you know the uh, birthstone of garnet yeah yeah i would say garnet that's probably a good a good description yeah i think of it. Noir, a lot of noirs kind of have a, a garnet color yeah yeah it is it's very pretty uh and kind of, but it has like a little bit of that hint of brown what like garnet has so mm-hmm. it's I, I like it. It, it so visually very appealing the smell uh vanilla and cherry a smaller amount of floral notes, but it does it does have a pretty pretty strong flavor, and it and what I mostly get out of it is like dark red cherry and vanilla. Mm-hmm. So again, one of the other things that I've been really liking lately about wine is uh, I can I can just kind of sit and watch TV with my wife or whatever, and just kind of like sniff my wine for a <laughs> long time because it's just kind of fun to do. It smells really mm-hmm. good. It's and like. At, at, over time, you know, one thing I also learned about is like when you smell at the top of the wine glass versus the bottom when you're when it's tilted toward your face, mm-hmm. uh, you you pick up different things in different places because the density of the particles that are um, coming off of the wine, which is what gives you the smell, are mm-hmm. are different. So some of them will sink and some of them will go higher, which is yeah, you know, is that neat. makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, and it's really interesting to see how different it is by this like a two inch distance. Yeah, you know, it'd be really so like not to derail our show. But like seeing somebody like a wine expert that wasn't against beer, mm-hmm. kind of how they would approach tasting a beer yeah, and kind of seeing like the different, you know, like, okay, if I consume it over this rate, if I let it sit, you know, and then the, the smelling distance, like, which is a really interesting idea and mm-hmm. makes total sense. Yeah. And like, does like beer have that many, like, it's not that volatile is not the right word for it in wine. But like, you know, kind of those reactive chemicals that are producing right, right. like the the additional smells and stuff like that. Because I mean, we all know beer has a smell. Yeah. But like, you know, obviously like on barley wines or like the super heavy quads and things like that that yeah. have like really unique brewing processes mm-hmm. or lambics, they definitely would have that. But, you know, it's like, oh, here's a, you know, standard IPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What like? would that be like? Well, speaking of, I guess, sort of standard IPAs. Uh, well, this will derail it too, but I think you and I have talked about it. I got a, I got a special IPA for you and me to try at Childeberg. Yes. Um, that's really cool. It's a, it's an Imperial American IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but it's brewed in Italy, which is, mm. is super interesting. So yeah. I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting. You and I can do, we got so much stuff to do reviews of. I don't know if we're going to get yeah. all of it because we'll be just too hammered if we're, if we do everything. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. uh, but anyways, back to this wine. So the taste, I, I think it's very strong red fruit, in particular strawberry. So mm-hmm. for me, strawberry, I usually sort of separate strawberry out because it's a much, um, not to describe this as sweet because it is a dry wine, but strawberry does sort of remind me of sweetness a little bit more than like plum, for example. So yeah, stra- strawberry is not strawberry is like a tomato, where like tomato is technically a fruit. Strawberry is technically not a berry; it's technically a fruit. I mean, like there's all that stuff. Yeah, but, like a raspberry, a cherry, um, dark red plums. Yeah, you know, most red fruits are not like a strawberry and like a tomato. Like right. they're like they're not like each other necessarily but like a strawberry is like a different like completely different whereas yeah. like you know oh apples like yeah there are a lot of different apples but like apples all on its own like you don't go like oh right. the apple like fruits yeah, like, yeah. No, it's apple right. strawberry is its own thing yeah exactly so it does it does have that dark red cherry and the plum flavors as well but the the strawberries really pronounced in it so i, I think that mm-hmm. was very good it's also got particularly after i let it sit for a little while a lot of tobacco a lot of oakiness, a lot of vanilla. It's huh. it's a little bit spicy, but very, very, very low spicy. Uh, almost mm. not tannic at all. Um, it has it's very light bodied, um, and but it it does have an acidity a little bit. It does make your mouth water, but it's more of like uh, like staying power. Not so the the acidity is more of like what remains after you take a sip. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like that's what lingers is this sort of acidicness, and you do have sort of a water a mouth wateriness to it. Yeah, so it's what yeah. it's how it coats the palate. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very good. I, I like it a lot, and I learned some interesting things when I was uh, looking up and trying to figure out, you know, what what I wanted to talk about on the show a little bit mm-hmm. for this wine. And one of the things that they sort of present on the website is that it is picked at 2 a.m., uh, mm-hmm. the Pinot Noir stuff. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why they pick at night. And when you go look it up, there's actually very good reasons for it. Apparently, at night. In the grapes, there's a chemical process that happens, and the sugars stabilize. So, mm-hmm. if you pick during the day, the sugars are going to be different, and um, the composition changes, and that makes uh, it so that undesirable wild yeasts will sometimes start working on the grapes before you're ready. So, if you pick at night when they're a little more stable and it's a little cooler, you you save on that. It's also there's no bugs or snakes out at night usually, uh, or fewer bugs and snakes out, and <laughs> And in places like, you know, in Northern California, there's rattlesnakes and stuff like that. And you don't want to, you don't want to be in the fields when there's going to be snakes out there sunbathing all over the place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, wasps are not out there and wasps love grapes. And, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the biting bugs and stuff like that, they, they're usually asleep or, or dormant or whatever at that time. So they bring out these very large lamps. They set them up and people just go in, go to town at, at long lines of harvesters and they just harvest at night and that's how they get it. Uh, it also apparently saves the uh, wine, the the wherever you store the grapes, it store it saves them money because they have to cool the grapes down to a certain temperature for them to be stored. And mm-hmm. if they're cooler already, you're using less energy to reduce the temperature. It's it's kind of a, so one of the things that I've wanted to kind of look into is these you know like people are like oh and during the day when you're not at home you should turn your house up to like you know some ridiculously high temperature mm-hmm. and then have it start to chill before you come home and i've always wondered like where's the thermal trade-off yeah like you know 
keeping it at a cooler temperature throughout the day by just dumping more air conditioning into it compared to like heat loss because of trying to maintain this lower temperature. But it's like, yeah. okay, well, how well insulated do you have to be before it becomes no letting it, you know, thermal change, like gain that thermal mass. Yeah. So, well, and this actually is similar to, but there's two in, in that, in that area or whatever, the same sort of thing is with whole house fans, uh, especially whole house fans with geothermal, is mm-hmm. that you turn the whole house f- fan on it and by just basically using the fan or using the, you know, the idea that hot air rises as it rises and goes out the vents on the top of your house, it, that pressure change pulls in cool air from the piping underneath your house mm-hmm. uh, if you have a ge- geothermal system. And then you can use this kind of passive thermal exchange to pull cooler air into your house during a hot day. And then yeah, at night, so- shut it down. And the same thing with like when you're driving on the freeway versus driving in town. It takes a lot less gas to maintain this freeway speed if you can go without stopping mm-hmm. than it does to exactly. you know be going 25 miles an hour, but start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. Yeah, coming to a complete rest, but yeah. compared to you know, com- it's the you know the conservation of momentum right, principle. Right. Yeah, like my house, like there's clearly a spot where there was a whole house fan originally mm-hmm. before they you know built all the extension and stuff onto it. Like there was a whole house fan, and a lot of them in this area had it. But yeah, so according to the um, site for the wine I have, it was also harvested at night. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's that's neat. I wonder I wonder if that's really common and, and you and I are just now finding out about it. I think it or, is yeah. and it isn't. Or it might be for specific grapes. Yeah, I think that's kind of – I think it, there's – we've looked at different ones and I think a few – few things we listened to or read kind of indicated like different harvesting times and things like that. Mm. So, and I can't remember his name at the moment, but the biodynamic guy. Oh, Craig Camp. Like, yeah, I'd like to see, you know, kind of, that'd be something to explore with him maybe on a future episode is, you know, because he has so much experience. Right. Like, is there, do you see a practical benefit of harvesting at night? Do you only harvest at night? Have you never harvested at night? You know, kind of get that idea. I know that I don't know if this is part of his practice because you know there's a lot of mystique around biodynamic and he sort of in that interview which people can go back and listen to it, it was I thought it was very good I think it's episode it's like 68 or 69 I think was the episode but um, one of the things he said he says well there are biodynamic is a certification that you can get and there's a lot of things involved with it that are more guidelines rather than rules mm-hmm. and one of the one of the guidelines that I've read about is that you harvest. Um, in accordance with a lunar cycle. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he, and he pointed this out. He said, look, it, it does sound kind of weird or whatever, but just like there's tides, the, the moon and the way that the gravity of the moon pools on all fluids is going to have some effect on grapes when it's very, very important for grapes not to be full of water when you're harvesting them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they, they burst, they're too watery, you're making a diluted wine, there's other factors involved. So I'm sure that, that as a biodynamic grower, he probably does pool or take into account temperature. And, mm-hmm. and actually in, in the, I guess, I guess when this comes out, it'll probably be two episodes ago. But when I was um, interviewing Rowdy, who's a, a grape grower here in Texas, is temperature plays a huge factor into, into him as well, into what, how he makes decisions as well. Because in Texas, there's a different, uh, I guess, clock that you're, you're fighting. And that is how long can you, I think it's called bricking. How long can you leave the grapes on the vine? Before mm-hmm. you have to harvest them, because if, yeah. if you're leaving them out in the sun for a really long time, they're they're developing more and more and more and more sugar. Like his, 
I think he was saying, I have to go back and listen to the episode, but I think he was saying his Malbec is like 16% ABV, mm-hmm. which is super high. And he says, but it's great. It, it tastes very good. It's a really good one. That higher alcohol, uh, it doesn't, it, from what I understand, high alcohol wines don't preserve as well unless they're mm-hmm. also very, very tannic. So I'm not yeah. sure how that works, but, but you can have a very high alcohol wine that's young and that is outstanding. And yeah, I, I kind of wonder if Texas wines are kind of more like the French idea where, you know, they're meant to ne- not maybe necessarily age so long because yeah. of the, the heat and the, the risk of, you know, the over sugaring and things like that. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's probably true. And, and it's also, though, one of the big challenges, as he was pointing out in Texas, is that inconsistency in harvest you have no idea what it's going to be like from year to year um he was saying like last year the year before he had like nine inches of snow randomly and he's like he says like maybe we got a half an inch a year and then this year we got nine and he was he's like you just never know and they have to have these gigantic um they're like basically like like big fans that go up there and like cool the air so that the um so that instead of it creating a frost, it cools the air above so that it'll drop. And then, but the, mm-hmm. the cooler air that's dropping is warmer than the air that's down at the ground. So it'll prevent frost from, uh, attaching to the grapes and killing them and yeah, causing frost damage. Rising. Right, a, right. That's a really interesting practice. Yeah. Um, the guy in Marfa that you worked with. Yeah, Ricky. Like, yeah. Ricky, this is one of those ones where, like, you know, you kind of got to tell him about that. Mm-hmm. Well, he like, had, hey, he had a, he had a loss of a couple of little uh, seedlings, not from the year that I planted, but the previous year he planted some, and some of them did survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ma- majority of the f- ones he put in the first year died because they were they were well they were dead on delivery. So, um, mm-hmm. but he said that they did have a late frost just randomly, and it killed a lot of the buds. And, and when it kills buds on plants that are that young. It kills the plant. Yeah, it's it's a huge shock to the system. Right, right. So he did. He lost two or three vines because of that of that late frost, and that's something that does happen. Now, once the once the plants are a little more mature, it's not a big deal, but um, it is a big deal if they bud and then it frosts because now you're going to lose the har- a, a large percentage of your harvest. So you got to prevent that from happening. That was one of the things Ricky was talking about, or not Ricky. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Rowdy was talking about was just. One of those things that one of the things that Texas grapples with is inconsistency. But where this Pinot Noir that I'm drinking is from, and the Pinot Noir that you're about to review, uh, Mm -hmm. this is one of the advantages that California has over a lot of places is that from year to year, it's very rare that there's unexpected weather. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that's always kind of shocked me about how consistent California weather is. But that's also one of those things. It's like you know, Virginia has pretty consistent weather, Mm -hmm. like. But then, you know, we've also had, you know, not this summer, winter, but like last winter we had, and the winter before that, we had big, big snow events that we normally don't have. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it, it can be, it can be oh, really, oh, yes, oh, that's weird. I, I don't know why my phone started talking to me. Um, something about grandma. It was some advertisement, something about <laughs> a girl getting a phone for her grandma so she could take pictures of her grandma. <laughs> I was like, okay. Well. <laughs> grandma's a stalker yeah but uh yeah yeah that is uh, it is a really interesting thing about california so why don't you get into your wine a little bit more so well at all <laughs> no <laughs> so i have mark west pinot noir russian river valley vintage 2015 so this is uh one of those things where you know i go to kroger a lot and kroger usually has at least on a larger size kroger the one we go to is a, the marketplace kroger they have a pretty extensive wine selection 
and you know nothing compared to total wine or like an actual wine shop but they right. have a fairly extensive selection and every year they kind of have this thing where like in the wine area there's what i call the discount rack or you know and if people have seen on the site like tales from the discount and things like that and that's where i go in and buy like discounted wine from them so they also have a complete other area of the store where they put like everything that's on discount so you know if you accidentally drop like the pea can of peas in the aisle and it's all dented that's where they put it you know like mark it down to 69 cents somebody will buy it yeah um so they do that with the wine so i was in there and one of the things that i've been very interested in getting was a pinot noir from santa barbara yeah which is not necessarily something you're going to find at kroger but i always look and see you know hey what am i going to find so last week we got a um, cab franc that i'm going to do a mini episode on um hopefully in the next week or so um, because I've opened it, I need to finish it, but I'm not ready to review it tonight. Um, but I opened, you know, I got two Noirs, and this one's out of the Russian River Valley. The other one's out of Mendocino, Ooh. which, yeah. you know, both are not, they're not super far away from Santa Barbara from right. like a classical distance sense. Yeah. But Mendocino and the, Ru- you know, the Russian River Valley, um, those are different than Santa Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, Santa, climates. Yeah, that Santa Barbara there, I think that, that AVA is like one of the smallest in California. It's like two miles by fifteen miles or something like that. It's very, very small. But it's yeah. but it it does produce and typically very expensive for our listeners. Typically it's a I would well, I wouldn't say very expensive, but it's usually a very good bargain compared to like Willamette Valley. Mm-hmm. And it the is known, very, very good producer right. valleys. Yeah. Right. It is very so, good, but it's still you're for most of the time you're going to be paying up, up 30 to 40 dollars or more uh and, and they do also they have a lot of very small producers there too which makes it difficult to find stuff from there sometimes mm-hmm. especially at, like a kroger in virginia mm-hmm. yeah so hang on I have hair in my mouth weird um so yeah this is um so it's listed on the bottle as being 17.49 um but they marked it down to 841 um i did a little bit of research for price and it looks like 10 bucks kind of but the difference is mark west apparently all they do is pinot noir okay and they've only done pinot noir since maybe 96 or hmm. possibly 1978 when the winery started oh, okay and i don't know if 78 they were just buying grapes and right. now they definitely grow so i don't know if it's like in 96 they switched over to growing their own you know i'm not i'm not totally sure so um as the listeners may remember, Pinot Noir is one of my least favorite reds um, because the flavor is too delicate for me most of the time. Right. So, you know, on a, a generally a $10 bottle or, you know, and this one is a little different than the $10 one I found because the other one was just California Pinot Noir, whereas this one is specific to the Russian River Valley. So this may be a little more expensive normally than what I was seeing, but they weren't, I couldn't find all that much on it. Yeah. Um, but the website from the manufacturer or the winery is pretty pretty mobile friendly and very well done graphically website for especially for like a single wine producer. So like I'm I'm betting it's probably owned as some larger winery, which is fine. Um but I opened it and then let it sit for like an hour, which you know I don't normally do. Mm-hmm. Um so I had a first sip of it and it was very punchy up front and kind of aggressive. And unfortunately, this is like completely mellowed out. Like oh. I get kind of a red wine smell 
I don't get a huge amount of flavor on it. My mouth is very dry, but I may have also gotten very close to heat stroke today because mm. uh, it was like 92, and I was trying to change the oil in my wife's car, and it wasn't going well because there's some sort of skid plate down there that my dad and I weren't expecting. <laughs> oh, right. You know, usually my dad and I with a car, like, if it's not some electronic part, we can fix it pretty easily, but we were having a heck of a time. Um, so, like, I got inside and I felt really awful. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, drank a bunch of water. And so, like, I don't know if the dry mouth is from the wine or from that. Um, but yeah, this has a very beautiful ruby color. Um, gonna give it another smell. Oh, you're smelling. I looked this up on Vivino. And they're, mm-hmm. they're saying the average price paid is $20 or $20.99, $20.99. Now, is this the Russian River one? Yeah. Yep. The, they have, oh, they have a whole bunch of different ones here. But the it says you can buy it online right now for $13.99. But that's the vintage 2013. They don't have the vintage 2015 on the site. Yeah. So I have the 2015 because I don't think I said that now. Yeah. Mine is 15% alcohol. Ooh. Holy cow. Yeah. What is this one, I wonder? Yeah, I think you said it was thirteen point eight or so. Well, the one that I'm drinking right now oh. is thirteen point nine. The but I'm wondering what this vintage there. Uh, uh, twenty fifteen. Yeah, the gotcha. twenty fifteen vintage. It doesn't say it on the site. I'm not sure. Yeah. So overall, this is one of those ones where I'm pretty sure this is a pretty good bottle of Pinot Noir, but I don't think I have the palate for its subtlety when it's been open this long. And that's one of the things that, like, is kind of counterintuitive about reds, you know, that need to be opened and allowed to air, is you can over-air them depending on the wine type. And it definitely changes the flavor. So, like, that's one of those things where, you know, you and I used to not do that at all, and now we both kind of recognize that more frequently. But I'll still slip back on a red and be like, oh, no, I'm going to just drink it now. I just opened it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, well, you know, and sometimes they're really, really good when they're first open, and sometimes they're really good when you've opened them and let them sit for a little while. Mm-hmm. It, it just depends on, I guess, what what it is or what you like. That's the other thing, too, that I've, I've been learning a lot is, um, I don't know how to say it exactly, but listening to, I guess, my own palate more instead of just yeah. being like, oh, well, this is what other people like. I should like yeah, this, too. What is what am I getting from this? And that's the thing. Like, so when you were talking about the flavor notes around when you were saying um, tobacco, mm-hmm. it, so for the listeners who want to jog back to when that was, you know, it's probably 10 minutes ago in the show, when you're talking about the tobacco flavor in yours after having had it open for a while, mm-hmm. like I was sniffing mine at that point, trying to come up with a more elegant description. Um, because that's one of the things that the listeners who, you know, for car, uh, who doesn't like the classic, classic episodes. Um, (laughs) One of the advantages of those episodes is you are very good at describing what you're tasting. And sometimes you couldn't necessarily get the word, the specific word, but I would be able to get there with you. You know, and it like you can better put into word what I'm actually tasting. Right. So, um, you know, it's one of those ones where like for eight, 41. I'm definitely not disappointed. Um, You know, I've had it open for a while. I think a lot of the alcohol vapors have come off. Now that I'm smelling it, again, this is like less than 10, 20 minutes later. Like, I hate to say it, but I kind of get a red Kool-Aid smell. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which which I haven't had red Kool-Aid in... Ages, yeah. 10 years at least. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's one of those ones that I find this really interesting that the winery only does Pinot Noirs. Mm-hmm. I really like that concept of kind of the hyper focus and hyper speciality. Like the uh, the sellers that make uh, Pinot, 
It's yeah. our go-to. Um, they only do cabs, cab mm-hmm. sob. So it's really interesting to me to to think that like you could specialize that much because like right. a lot of the Virginia wineries, at least that I know of, they don't specialize at all, and they grow a wide variety. And here, like in the Rush River Valley, which isn't super like I'm not saying it's not good wine country, but it's not Sonoma. Right. Well, and I, I think that's I, I've actually I think I've listened to either Wine for Normal People or a different podcast about the Russian River Valley. And it's one of those regions where you're right. It's not Sonoma. It's not Sonoma. It's not Napa. And it was kind of pushed to the side and forgotten. And so they weren't growing mm-hmm. great stuff there. But now there's a lot of people coming in and going like, no, this is good. This is good. They're just not growing the right thing here. And so they started taking out the Zinfandel and they started taking out the Cab Sauv and they started putting in stuff that is just better suited for that climate and better suited for that soil. Yeah. So overall, um, you know, if I, on a five point scale, I'd probably give it a three, three and a half. Um, if, if you like Noir and this is one of those ones that you have a particular affinity for yeah, and you can want to reach out to us and give us a better idea of like what I'm doing wrong with it. Um, maybe it's, you know, don't be super dehydrated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that probably, that probably helps is making sure that you feel your best. So then you, you know, if you taste the best, that's always kind of a tough thing, especially when you're yeah. on, you, when you're on a timeline, like you are to, to come on and start talking about yeah, <laughs> wine, wine with me. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, normally what I, what I've been trying to do is like not have my first glass be the one on the show unless there's like, it's a gift from you or something like that. Right. Where it's like, no, I, you know, I want you to have as much of that experience of me enjoying it for the first time as possible. Right. But with having not necessarily ha- us having a more red focus as of late, but just myself having had more reds as of late. If you look at my uh, what's left of my splash wine delivery, it's mainly the whites at this point. Oh, good. Um, that's kind of the thing is like I need to focus more on like I can I get more from whites than I do from reds, and I enjoy drinking reds in general. But from like a review standpoint, it, they're a little harder for me because it's like, oh, right, tastes like red wine, and you're sitting there like, oh, and I, you know, I get the subtle hits of cherry and plum, and I'm like, yeah, it's sip, sip, sip. Yes, I do get those. <laughs> <laughs> How did I not get that before? Right. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, I mean, that's just one of those things is that I, I think. You know, this is I, I I posted a picture on Instagram today, which you guys can follow. Uh, Tasting Anarchy on Instagram is mostly pictures of what I'm drinking. Uh, well, actually, mm-hmm. it's all pictures of what I'm drinking, pretty much. And yeah, um, I don't text you pictures of <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, um, I sort of lost my train of thought. Oh, oh, I put a, I put a picture of this Alvarino or Alvarino, um that I really like, and I opened another bottle of it last night because I don't normally drink whites, but I opened mm. another bottle last night because I took. Uh, that thousand foot view of Spanish wines. Uh, you know, Elizabeth over at normal, uh, wine for normal people. Mm-hmm. She does those classes. You took one. I've taken a yes. couple of them and she did a Spanish wine classes yesterday. Yeah. I got way too drunk on the first one. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Like, that just was... could not follow the incredibly, like, I, I don't want it to sound bad, but like one of those things is about British people that are explaining stuff. And I know she's not British. Yeah. So this is going somewhere. But I know you're not going to ex- – but other people who are listening. Oh, right. Like there's certain times when British people are explaining something where you're just like, this person sounds so pretentious. <laughs> yeah. And then, then you finally start hearing what they're actually saying and you're like, they're not pretentious at all. They're giving really good, useful, accurate, and well-presented information. Right. Elizabeth kind of had that at first for me where I was like, right. Oh, she, you know, wine for normal people. She's going to teach me about wine. I'm a normal person. Like it's my own hang up on what's going on. 
And then by the time I like, I kind of like started focusing, I was like, Oh, you, you, you need to shut up in the head. Cause like, this is really useful. Well, oh, wait, you're way more hammered than you thought. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you know what? The, the thing is too, that like, I think you can probably go back in our episodes and see, it was roughly around when I moved here and I started listening to a program. So probably about nine months ago. And I remember saying on the show that I don't want to, I don't want to, this to sound like I'm being an asshole, but it says it's wine for normal people. And I have to take notes during the, the episodes and go look stuff up to read it. Mm-hmm. The thing is that while that is true, a lot of that is just because there's so much information in wine. And so you could probably go to the interviews that I've done, the one with Rowdy that I just did, or the one with Craig Camp, and you probably have to take notes on those. I had to take notes on those and go back and like and read some of the stuff too. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's not accessible. And that's that's I think exactly what and, and I think I think that's kind of like a like a Michael Malice thing. Yeah. It's like, I've never heard of you. It's like, well, I've never heard of you. Like, you're the one who's reached out to me. Right. And, and but like, you know, it's kind of like that Michael Malice thing. It's like, look, just because somebody like has a weird way of speaking or something like that doesn't mean the information they're presenting isn't useful. But the same thing here, it's like, it is for normal people. She's presenting it in a laid back and informal fashion. Yeah. But it's well dis- well described, very knowledgeable, and well researched. And so, yes, there are times where you need to like take notes and things like that. it's like listening to Tom and Bob. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Sometimes they'll, they'll they'll toss off these comments about something, and it's like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> like that's yeah. a strain of libertarian thought I've never even thought of to look into. <laughs> right, exactly, and that's and that's very true, and that and that's one of the cool things about wine is that and why it appeals to. I think why it probably would appeal to a lot of libertarians as well is that, well, really just anybody who's kind of, you know, to use an internet phrase, autistic like us, where like <laughs> where you just become so obsessed because there's so much information, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not just the the wine tastes and stuff like that, but it's like the technique of making it, the history of the regions, these, yeah, like, you know, actually one of the things I've been like really harping on, Victoria probably doesn't want to hear about it because I, I showed it to her and she's like, oh yeah, what it, you know, that's nice, but. I have this bottle that you and I are going to drink. I'm saving it for us because mm. it's it's a it's a very expensive Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, the design of the bottle to me is so aesthetically pleasing. I'm just like I I'm just so happy to sit like hold this and look at it. Like they did such a yeah. good job on this bottle. Well, it's like the peanut bottle. Yeah, like, exactly. It's very much like very that. Very simple, yeah. but still so effective. And that's one of the things I really like about this Mark West bottle. Like yeah. it's a it's a palish tin, you know, palish paper. And it's got a mainly an orange border. Their symbol is kind of a, I think it's supposed to be a grape leaf, but stylized okay. and gold. And then there's a grape, you know, purple or purple orange circle around it. it. Something about it feels very California to me. Yeah. But not like, oh, you're going to see a surfer going through like yeah. the, the part of California that you and my wife are from. Right, like, right. But a little more classed up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because Sonoma is definitely a kind of hoity toity. The Russian River Valley, it's, you know, just north. Like, Russian River Valley is just north of San Francisco, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Like, it's it's a amazing region of the country to go to. And to me, this bottle kind of evokes that. Right. Okay. Which well, is, yeah. That, you know, is, odd. <laughs> yeah. Like, a bottle does that, but it's great. Yeah. So, I guess to, to sum up what, what we're talking about is. We enjoy aesthetics. We enjoy wine. Sometimes it gets a little complicated, but hang in there because mm-hmm. it does open up. It's really interesting. It's just a great world, and and that's also kind of a roundabout way for us to plug Elizabeth at Wine for Normal People. Yeah, uh, she's well, a wealth of information. She's always she's 
she actually had a really super awesome libertarian esque episode recently. Uh, the episode that you know the that or the the class I took with her, yeah, like she definitely kind of has this like libertarian feel to her. Well, she had an economist on. Oh wow, he's and he's a wine economist, or or that's one of his specialties. Uh-huh. And he was going through uh, the economics of regulation on wine. Mm-hmm. And like how incredibly devastating it is and how, and like, and things like choice theory and things like that, where like, he's like, well, these are, if you, if you do these different things, well, actually I think he was, he was an economic journalist. I don't think he was an actual economist, but, um, he was going oh. through, he, I mean, he, he probably has a degree in economics. I'm not sure he was very intelligent and he's a British guy, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but he was going through and talking about, He's like, this is what we know happened when we started putting all these prohibitions on tobacco. And he's like, you really have to weigh the costs and the benefits. And mm-hmm. and then he was also going through like these various classes of people that are – he says they may not even realize it, but they're prohibitionists. Mm-hmm. And he, he was saying that they have a goal and their goal is basically prohibition, but they realized that legal prohibition didn't work. And so now they want to do things like force you to change the label of your wine to show pictures of supposedly wine-causing cancers. Which there are none, and but they were like, there's like one study that's a, a very very poorly done study, and he goes through also the study and goes through all the flaws of the study, and mm-hmm. and is like, there's actually no evidence at all that wine causes cancer. There's this one study that it may possibly contribute to breast cancer, but they they like cut out huge segment, segments of the testing population in order to get those results. Well, it's like the uh, the idea that the Mediterranean diet, yeah, like you know is somehow good and it's like yeah one group of people <laughs> measured right. and every statistical you know study that comes out that refutes it is buried but right it's like no this, these diets are crap <laughs> like right well and that's and that's kind of what he was talking about is he says there there's overwhelming amounts of of independent medical study with large sample sizes that shows that moderate wine drinking is actually very good for you and helps reduce your chances of getting cancer as well as things like cardiovascular disease and other things and then he says on the other hand then they cite this one study and they're trying to use this study to f- get the government to force these new label changes on wine and he's like the, the study is completely flawed and it only it like this the sample size is tiny it's like 100 people or something <laughs> and and they and they cut out anybody in the study that was uh contrary to the results that they wanted mm-hmm. and so he kind of goes through this and he goes like this is not a uncommon thing and he goes like look we know that cigarettes are bad for you but a lot of the studies that they used to get a lot of the prohibition on cigarettes and and the various labeling things on cigarettes are flawed studies. He's, he's, we we do have we have accurate studies that show that it's bad for you, but you and you don't have to hype up how bad they are for you, you know. But they did do a lot of this manipulation in the public, and he says this is the same thing with alcohol. Is that these are prohibitionists? They are typically a certain class of people with certain ideological beliefs that are part of their in group preference. Um, so like and. For lack, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying, it, it's wasps mm-hmm. um, who don't really see any sort of value in alcohol at all, and they and they have this crusade, and they are doing it, and they, and they may have good intentions, they they may truly believe in in this stuff, but they but they lie, and they lie, and it's and it's he says it's a method of gaining political power. To I actually really recommend people go. Maybe I'll look up what the episode was because. I'll put oh, it in the no, show you notes. should link. You definitely need to link. Yeah, because it. it was a great. It was it was one of the most informative episodes. It was about wine. The guy enjoys wine and stuff. And but he kind of was going through. Now, granted, he was he was much more moderate than you and me. He was like, well, look, we do need some labeling laws, but uh, we don't need to put like pictures of breast cancer on the labels like we do for mm-hmm. cig- like like cigarettes. And he, he actually, I think he, he kind of goes through that. And he's like, 
putting pictures of cancer on cigarettes is not effective yeah, and it's, it's and not it's, been shown to be effective. Yeah, it's not effective and it's not and it's and it's just a means of those people in political power gaining more power. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, just creating this other level of bureaucracy for no apparent reason. Yeah, right. So it was a really great episode. I'll, I'll definitely link to it. Let me put a note in the show notes real quick to link to that episode. Mm-hmm. It would be great if yeah. I could reach out to him and have him on because he was so interesting. Yeah, that would be very interesting. But speaking of uh, plugs, I believe we got a very – well, our show and only the one person they could remember the name of got a wonderful plug on Peaceful Treason. Yep, oh, that's right. <laughs> Now, I, I don't hold it against them. I, I am very inactive on social media, given the fact that I have no social media, despite having started at least the main social media that yeah. most people know about us from. Um, so, yeah, the guys from Peaceful Treason, like, I, one of those things that, like, I find very hard with, like, established podcasts is dropping in. Oh, yeah. Because we do it, too, where there's a formula and a flow to the show. And it's like, wait, who who's talking? Who are you guys? Why are you talking about us? <laughs> like, yeah. And then they, you know, they're going to be at Childerbergs. I, I look very forward. I'm very. You know, I look very. Look forward to meeting them and and getting to thank them in person for the very kind words. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's also. I, I think for you, it's probably especially odd because a lot of times, like, I'll text you and be like, so and so said something, and you're like, who are they? Yeah. Or like, or I'll be like, I'm going to go see so and so, and you're like, who is this person? And it's like, oh, yeah. well, we interact with them all the time on Twitter, and it's like, oh, that's right, you're not on Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's like every time you try to go on the Twitter and you look at it and you're like, I don't understand who's talking to who and how I view the response. Oh, because I'm not logged in. I can't see the chain in some logical way. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I do it to myself. But, like, that's one of those things where, like, I think it's really interesting to see how I think about our show. Right. Compared to how other people view it. And, you know, we, we like, Sounds Like Liberty and I don't. And, you know, it's not that they don't get plugged very often. I'm sure they do. But, like, there are not as many libertarian podcasts out there that have a hyper focus. Right. And, you know, our hyper focus is wine and laws that impact wine, but also, like, generally how you can use what you see in the alcohol industry and how that applies to, like, all society. And, you know, sounds like Liberty, like, they're super hyper-focused, too. But, like, you know, Carr and them, they're, you know, they they have their own focus, but it's in a comedic way. Right. Like, they're, they're a, I won't say they're a comedy podcast, but comedy is a huge part of theirs. Right, right. And, and that's one of the things that's super fun about their show is it's like, this is just a really weird and interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. between people that I could be friends with. Whereas like, you know, some people might listen to our show and it's like, these guys really like wine. It's like, yes, we have a wine show. That's the point. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, it, and like, it's I'm, really I'm, interesting. Yeah. And I'm getting, I do like wine, but I'm getting way, way carried overboard on, on the amount of wine I buy. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a break, I think, for the rest of the summer on purchasing new things unless it's for like a class. No, I, I think you should just take a, a, a break in general because knowing you – when you create one exception, yeah, then there's all exceptions, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, yeah. My, my next class isn't until July, I don't think, because the she's doing like a rosé class, which mm-hmm. I'm actually very interested in, but it's for the European audience, so it's going to be at like two o'clock in the afternoon, mm. and and I don't want to, I don't want to take time off, and <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of hard, but like I, you know, I can understand the 
like especially for being a producer like, oh yeah for sure a content producer and you know making a good portion of your living doing content production yeah. like you do have to make adjustments like that right. um maybe one day you know you and i will be able to functionally do things like that yeah but at the moment no but so not only so we've plugged preschool treason we've plugged sounds like liberty we've partially pr- plugged the friends against government podcast with car campit and Bernarchy. um car will be joining us on the aforementioned childerberg that's right um peaceful treason will be out there as well i think is it rollo or is it slappy who's gonna be out oh rollo rollo from rollo and slappy will be there i mm-hmm. mean slappy's not coming he's got kids it's hard for him to travel although yeah. he, i mean you know about that um yeah i, I do exactly yeah. um I guess uh, Dino's coming down from Lubbock. From the Dino Files. Yeah, from the Dino Files. Uh, and Mr. Many, Sue. many appearances on Friends Against Government. Mr. Right. Sue. He also has other, he's got some other shows too, like one's about anime. Um, mm. That's it's. I, I'm sure it's got some sort of liberty bent because he's a libertarian. I haven't listened to it yet. I know you're you're much more into anime than I am. Uh, I, I like a lot I, of it. I, I wish I was more into it at times for the cultural aspects of just seeing a different culture, but yeah, I, I watch very little now. Okay, well, when you I, when I, you and I first met, I watched some and, yeah. and read some of the comics and stuff, and now I, I pretty much don't watch any of it or read any of it. Um, Correct, same here. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I like it all still. I just it's just yeah, I don't just know, doesn't happen. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. But so he's got that, and, he, and then uh, Mr. Sue from the Pseudo Lectual, which I always mispronounce as Pseudo Intellectual, but it's Pseudo Lectual podcast. That's not mispronouncing. Yeah, um, that's just the wrong thing, <laughs> right? Uh, so he's he'll, he'll be apparently there. He feels very sorry for me because I can't. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Of the way I process music, <laughs> he, he is he's so into music that it's um, well. He's also a very good musician. He he wrote. I don't know if you've heard it yet. He wrote um, the ballad of uh, the Road Toad, and so th- do you know the whole Road Toad thing? It, <laughs> is it's, it on Twitter? It's 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 on Twitter, but it's part of the whole the Friends Against Government podcast. It's like a it's a cryptid that Carr really doesn't like because I think that Bird actually made it up. I don't think it's real, or it might be real. I'm not sure, but it's a cryptid. That's that, a cryptid. So somebody yeah, made it up. Somebody made it up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, right. Uh, so yeah. yeah, but you know, I was also the one positing that uh, Bird and uh, Robbie Bernstein were That's the same right. persons yeah. for a while. So oh well, you should, we should also uh, plug Robbie the Fire because uh, mm-hmm. next time in New York, maybe maybe he and I can get together and, and do yeah. something. I've been talking to him a little bit on Twitter. I'd like him to come out to Childerberg Dose, but we'll see. We'll see how that all ends up working out. I, I have a feeling based on who's coming to Childerberg. Yeah. Which is Scott Horton, at right. least as far as we know. Yes. Childerberg well, yeah. Dose, like, I, I'm pretty sure Mark Claire's going to, like, move heck and high water to get out there because he's going to be out there anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think Mark will probably be somebody we'll get to see or at least have record, you know, cause it's during next to the Libertarian Convention. Right. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah. And I've got I've got tentative dates if mm-hmm. if you want me to give them real quick. So the tentative dates are uh, May 23rd through the 26th in mm-hmm. 2020. So that's a Saturday through a Tuesday and so it's going to be a longer event, mostly because I think the the main stuff that we're going to be trying to do, like the big deal stuff, is going to be Sunday, Monday, um, and we're mm. just going to be hanging out there Saturday, and then Tuesday we'll all be packing up and leaving. Yeah. Saturday will be a setup day. Yeah, um, yeah, getting people in and situated. Yeah, and then and people who want to shuttle over to the LNC because the LNC next year. Uh, in 2020 is in Austin and it's the 22nd through the 25th. So I wanted some overlap so that people have mm-hmm. an option to come out uh, after the festivities at the LNC, which I'm a big tent guy, you know, more power to them. They do their thing. Um, but if you're more of a anarchist or 
agorist or whatever, or just more of a party libertarian and would rather have fun hanging out with other libertarians than, you know, whatever the heck goes on at the LNC, then, <laughs> uh, then you can come hang out with us and, and we'd be more than happy to have you. We'd also be more than happy to um, have any podcasters that are going to LNC if they want to come and just chat with everybody afterwards about what happened. That's going to be cool mm-hmm. too. So I know a lot of people are going to be out, um, but I don't want to spend too much time plugging that because we're running out of time. We got to ch- plug Childerberg first. Yeah, we do. So we got to ch- June Childerberg 8th and 9th, Lake Bocannon yeah. or, or Buchanan. Yeah. One of Buchanan, the two. Buchanan, we're not sure. Yeah. In the lovely central Texas. Yep. Um, We'll be out. We'll be having fun. We are having a wine van. Now, that's not a van that serves wine. That is a van that I will drive you to three wineries. Yes. The itinerary has been posted for the wine van. Yeah. Do you want me to, um, you want me to give you the wineries or do you? Yes. Okay. So the the wineries are um, Persesos Vineyard and Winery, mm-hmm. um, Torna Locks, which I've had several of the Torna Lock wines. Very, very good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And uh, Fall Creek Vineyards. So those, mm, those are yes. the three. So with the wine van please keep in mind these are wineries these are professional businesses this is not a bar where you're going to go out and get blitzed or whatever words you want to use to describe your epic consumption of alcohol so save that for the public park next to the campsite that we will be at <laughs> um but yes we will be going out to enjoy some of the wineries they we will have uh plenty of people out who are having fun car Dino, as we've discussed, Brolo, Mr. Sue, the guys from Peaceful Treason, hopefully Scott Horton yeah. um, will be out. At well, that's that's two. that's almost for sure. So yeah, uh, at well, this point, but you know, you know, give him some like, I can, leeway. Just I can in case. see some things happening in the uh, the realms of government action that may draw Scott away for very special and needed recording episodes. Hopefully nothing like that will happen and spoil our chance to at least get to shake his hand and thank him for all the hard work he does. Yeah, get a cool uh, picture. Top of, go ahead. I said get a cool picture with him. Yes. Um, so after my brush with near sunstroke today, having been outside doing stupid stuff, please keep in mind if you are coming that while there is water available at the campsite, you should bring sunscreen, some sort of shade, lots and lots of your own water. And possibly a cooler full of ice. Yes, yeah, yeah, because it is going to definitely be hot. And just sort of on that note, um, the wine van is full, so we've got yes. all of the seats booked. But mm-hmm. if you want to come with us to the wineries, there, I'm sure there's an opportunity for you to figure out carpooling with other people or to drink responsibly and tag along in your own vehicle. But please, 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 don't bring trouble on yourself or on us. And make sure that you are good to safe drive and, and safe. Yes. Yep. Yep. So um, we are drinkers. I regularly drink more than I should. And but and, and <laughs> Mason, yeah, and Mason and I have both had instances where we drove when we should not. And you know, for the grace of God, we are still here to uh, do the show show with you. Yes, so we correct. we can tell you from personal experience. Just make sure that you're good to go. And if yes. you're not, we can always drop people off at the campsite and then come back and get you. Correct. Yes, believe me. If you are if you are impaired uh, and you are not safe to drive, we will not leave you out to dry. Though we will be frustrated with you. Yes. Um, but <laughs> in a friendly frustration. Right. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and move on to our article. Though I think that was the yes. good, that was good. Childerberg plugging. Mm-hmm. Um, so this article I think is is near and dear to my heart and to yours as well because we both love dogs. Oh yes. And the title is "In Wine Country, Dogs Are Sniffing Out Treats uh, or mm-hmm. Threats." I'm sorry. Dogs are sending oh. out threats to 
$325 a bottle Cabernet Sauvignon. It's oh, by boy. it's by Ellen McCoy, and mm. I will go ahead and break down the summary. I thought it was a really cool article, and um, we can Real go quick, ahead. Yeah. What what does it come out of? It com- Bloomberg, oh, yeah. Uh, like I think it's Bloomberg. Yeah, it's Bloomberg. Yeah, yeah. Bloomberg, yeah. Yeah, Bloomberg. I meant to say decanter first. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it was, it was – I actually got this from the aggregator on Wine Business News, but hmm. it links you to I, – I always go to the Wine Business News just to see what's going on, and um, but they link to external sites. So this was yeah, – because it, it's, it's, it's an, an aggregator. aggregator. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is Ellen. Anyway, Ellen McCoy, and so here's the summary of the article. So it says, uh, dog's sense of smell is between 10,000 and 100,000 times better than humans. So due to this heightened sense of smell, dogs are being trained to sniff out the dreaded chemical TCA and TBA in oak staves destined to become barrels. So for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know, TCA and TCB are the cause of quote-unquote cork taint, which is Mm. a off flavor in wine that makes it taste kind of like wet cardboard. Um, It is apparently not pleasant. I'm kind of curious to try something with cork taint to know what it tastes like. (laughs) All right, Jacob. Yeah. Go find the most recent Amazon box you have. Yeah. Put it under the sink. Put it in your mouth. Right. (laughs) Take a sip of your wine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's probably what it's, but they were saying, so this, the TCA and TCB is such a strong chemical to humans that only a few drops in an Olympic-sized pool would be enough for you to be able to detect the smell and taste of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, and so this does affect a lot of wine, and it's very difficult to track down, but apparently dogs are able to smell it. So the dogs mm-hmm. are also being trained to smell other issues, uh, contaminants from other other issues with wood, also things from like plastic hoses, um, which if a plastic hose comes in contact with the wine juice, it can it can give an off flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using pumps that have some sort of contamination in it, uh, silicone uh, bunges, which is, I guess, the big uh, silicone plugs that they use to plug the top of wine barrels, uh, those mm-hmm. can those can get a contaminant on them, and it can give an off flavor. Uh, and then uh, fining agents, which is like the I think the agents that are used to clarify wine, mm-hmm. some of those can get contaminated, and those will also uh, cause a problem so the dogs are being trained to smell out all of these contaminants that could be there they have different dogs that do different things uh but they just they go through and they just they sniff out all these things and and do basically a certification process that these things are good so back in 2018 uh opus one which i think you and i've done some articles about them they're a very major player in napa valley uh they make cabernet sauvignon uh they Mm -hmm. sued they sued their french barrel maker for uh claiming that 10 barrels had been contaminated with TCA and it had damaged um, 590 gallons of their $325 a bottle Cabernet Sauvignon. Wow. Uh, So that's a big deal. And uh, Mm -hmm. for, you know, obvious reasons, the barrel makers and the wineries and stuff want to make sure that they can kind of curb that. Uh, The dogs are also being trained to uh, sniff out things in the fields that can cause contamination, such as bugs. Uh, wasps apparently are a big problem in wine uh-huh. uh, wine fields, so uh, they'll sniff out wasps so that you can get rid of the wasps in whatever manner you want. Um, other types of bugs, the, uh, the uh, I think it's phloxera, phloxera is the one that like eats the roots or whatever. Some of them can smell those, and so that you can make sure to try to like con- contain that if if there's a problem. Now. These days, they pretty much use American rootstock for everything, but in places uh-huh. like Chile, they still have old vines on European rootstock because they never got phylloxera down there. Uh-huh. So uh, places like that are very concerned that that they may get an introduction of phylloxera and it will it will kill very large percentage of their vine. I mean, like back in 
I guess it was like the late 1700s when phylloxera hit France, they were losing something like 80%, 90% of their vines to this mm-hmm. this bug. And uh, they also are, are being trained to uh, sniff out certain types of mold and rot that are difficult to detect otherwise and can cause a lot of off flavors. The article's longer than that. It has a lot more information that's a lot of – that's very interesting. Um, one of the things that I thought was really great though about this is that some of these dogs are – retrained dogs that used to be trained to sniff out drugs mm-hmm. and you know how we feel about the drug war and for those mm-hmm. who are listening uh we are anti-drug war <laughs> correct and i i always feel bad for the dogs that have to do that work mm-hmm. and because it's just like they don't know any better and but they're basically ruining people's lives and but they're just you know they're trained to sniff drugs that's what they do but now they can save people bat from bad wine instead mm-hmm. of putting people in jail for you know transporting nose candy yeah, so or whatever else yeah, whatever. So this, this, this makes me wonder so like pigs are really smart too yeah so i wondered like about like creating a competitive like a competitor using pigs yeah, you know, they probably they probably would be really good at it, and it, probably in the fields it would be a little bit difficult because one of the reasons they don't use pigs to sniff truffles is because pigs will eat truffles. Well, they used to use pigs to sniff them. Yeah, because the pig would the pig has an inherent desire to get to it because yeah. it desires it as food, whereas the dog does not. Right. Right. So, so, but I know they stopped using them a lot because that sometimes the pigs will get the truffles and you won't and you won't get them. And you're talking about, I mean, truffles are hundreds of dollars a pound. Yeah, but like that's the thing is like if you're training them to like sniff out wasps and they're like able to eat wasps that you don't yeah. have to deal with. Yeah, then I guess that's that that's true. But, but you, you don't want them, to be, but you don't want them to be eating the grapes is what I, I guess is what I'm kind of getting at. But I guess yeah, if you have like, like if you have the smaller pigs that can't reach the grapes, then maybe that's fine. Well, also, but like you know, a well-fed pig is not necessarily like an it's not a shark. That's true. It's not a it, well. Even sharks, like this thing, is like that's a misnomer about sharks. They don't. They don't just devour things. Like they're they're very sensitive about what they eat. Yeah. Like and pigs, not you know, goats aren't. Goats are actually pretty sensitive what they eat too. But like most animals, like that, like there there's very few animals that just eat anything. Right. Like a seagull is kind of one of those things where it's like it'll eat anything because yeah, that's why you find them full of plastic and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, but like that's the thing is like so like I wonder if you could like competing agency with pigs, but also like so TCA it's a chemical. Yeah. So like I wonder where the TCA originates. So well, I guess it's like according to the the I didn't read a huge amount about where TCA and TBA come from, but it's a contaminant that's just in wood. It, well, and, so. I don't yes. know if it's not – I don't think it's from like cutting them down because it's also in cork and that's why it gets well, the name cork taint. Yeah, so – but that's what I was going to say is like I wonder if you could like say have a service that could genetically test trees that are destined to become oak barrels. Oh, yeah. Huh. And then so that way like you know if you could come up with like whatever the genetic marker is for the production of the TCA chemical because it's that strong. Like if this is something that is like a genetic, you know, clearly – like clearly wine would have never become popular – if this chemical well basically either people never cared about the taste of TCA before mm-hmm. or it's very rare in the trees themselves so if you could pre-screen the trees and or say like sell tree stock that is genetically incapable of producing yeah. the TCA chemical you that's know true. then you you could grow like because that's one of the things like sustainable forage management like if you're going to be producing wine barrels out of oak and things like that, you could be sustainably producing these trees. And if you knew they were all free of this, yeah, like, hey, like we're using a genetically sourced material that is free of this. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's not a that's not a bad idea. 
Speaking of, of of different types of oak, I don't know if I already did an episode on this, but I had a wine recently that was aged in Russian oak. Have you ever had one like that? Not that I know of. Yeah, it's interesting because I always hear American oak or French oak. Yes. And apparently there's a guy in California who is a botanist or mm-hmm. a, a arborist, an arborist, mm-hmm. and he is also into wine. And so he went out looking for like different types of oak and he sourced these oak trees out of the Carpathians or, mm-hmm. or maybe the Caucasus. I don't remember where, but he found these oak trees in Russia that he was like, this has got the chemical compounds. We want to add the types of flavors that we're looking for. And so now he started making wine barrels out of this Russian oak that's out there, which I thought was super interesting. Um, I don't think I've actually talked about it. I think it, I just recall it now. And I think I'm, I was going to save it for like a mini. So maybe people yeah. can look forward to that later. Do you, do you remember anything different or special about it or? No, because it was it was actually it was aged in a combination of French and okay, Russian. So gotcha. I didn't notice anything. I think it actually might have been a Syrah. Now that now that I'm thinking about it, um, okay, I could see that. Yeah, I think it was so, a. I think it was. I think it was a Syrah, and it was aged now, in Russian oak. I thought I thought it was super interesting. Now here's a quick second for one of our classic tangents. Okay, so everybody who's like, oh, like they're they're trying to look at the like marginal, like benefits to like you know. Uh, Bob and Tom did an episode on tariffs last yeah. week for Contra Krugman. And, you know, like Bob was talking about, like, you know, some measures where you could say, like, tariffs aren't necessarily bad using certain metrics because you're sub, you know, kind of going to a certain argument to begin with. Right. But that's one of the things that, like, what's so inherently damaging about, like, tariffs and government manipulation. Because, like, what if, like, these Russian oaks were the perfect wine? barrels and like the russians could be producing them cheaper right possibly more efficiently because they have you know those massive russian forests Mm -hmm. where they could do selective management that haven't already been damaged so they could you know use really good efficient techniques and then but no because we're you know bring all these sanctions against the russians for supposedly meddling in our elections and all this other nonsense it's like no we this is like a cause of like we're free trade yet again it's like look no, these guys are like, yeah, they have all the things we want in this, and it's limiting the market for no reason. Hmm, okay, I looked it up. It's it's in the Caucasus. That's where the Russian oak yeah. comes from. Yeah, so, so maybe we can maybe we can get it from Georgia because you know apparently they're going to join NATO or some nonsense. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah, I wonder if that's. It says it. It, it says right here it comes from the Caucasus in the Republic of Ad Adigua. Adi, I have no idea where the hell this place is. Let me look. It's in Russia. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I think it's one of the. I think the some of the Caucasus regions in Russia have the um, republic in the name. Oh, it, yeah, it is part of the the Russian Federation. It says, and yeah. it, and it's like right next to Crimea and right mm. above Georgia. So it's like right between Georgia and Crimea. Nice. Yeah. So that so that's that's interesting. So I guess they're getting them there. So you know maybe yeah maybe we could get it from Georgia if they join if they join up NATO. Maybe they've got the same stuff there, and we they could make really good wine barrels. Yeah, but like that that's the thing is like you know. But if, or we could just, you know, not be a-holes yeah, and that's true. just freely trade <laughs> with Russia. And, and then, like, you know, the power of, like, free commerce would allow the import of our ideas on top of, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, us being able to trade with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That is – that would be. So apparently these – it's very new. It's, they were introduced in 1996. So. That said, they've only been using them for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting. Well, that's a great place to close, I think. And we are I think so as well. out of time. So uh, you got work tomorrow or you got the day off? I have the day off. Ooh, nice. Me too. Yeah. All right. So you can follow us on Tasting Anarchy at, at Twitter, tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Schilderberg, it's an annual event. 
that's happened once yeah. <laughs> or is happening once right? Um, where we will have libertarians. It is the pork fest of the South. Right. So, and it is the non-Contra Cruz. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh man, I forgot that we were doing that. Maybe I should incorporate that somehow into the, yeah. into the waiting for or dreaming, oh. dreaming of Childerberg dose t-shirts. I, I have a, I have an idea for that okay. that I will not say on air. Okay, cool. Yeah. You, let me know. Cause I, I'm so working on the art for that. And, mm. um, so for those of you who are waiting with the bait, with bated breath, I do have I have a a new T-shirt for in between Childerberg yes. one and Childerberg dose. Um, more tie dye, yeah, more tie dye, exactly. So uh, keep your eye out for that. So I think that's pretty much it. Anything else, Mason? Not for me. Stay free, everybody. Right, stay free.